as you find your seats, turn with your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 6, verse 33. Use that as a springboard into the Proverbs, into a couple other verses. Um, the verses should be listed for you. If you can grab your bulletin, pull out your insert so you can follow along to the outline. Um, Katie, uh, it's so great to have Katie who comes usually to both services and um, helps me because I don't, we've been doing this recently, don't always uh, um, remind you when to fill things in, hopefully you can fill it, figure it out. Good morning. I want you to go to the movies. I really do. I want you to go. As a matter of fact, I'd like you to go this weekend. Thursday would be great. Friday, Saturday, don't do it on Sunday unless your conscience says okay. Um, but it's a great movie coming out. I mean, a fantastic movie, a movie that we need to see as Christians, not be, just because it's a Christian movie, but it's a great movie, a movie that I've had a chance to preview. It's a movie called Amazing Grace. It debuts in uh, theaters this Thursday, the 23rd, and it's the life story of an English chap by the name of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce uh, was born and raised with a silver spoon in his mouth, uh, had affluence, had a lot of uh, wonderful things at his disposal. Um, after Cambridge, a good, fine education at Cambridge, he and one of his best friends launched a life into public service in the parliament. He says later in his life that truthfully, I went into politics for personal gain and selfish ambition. And yet there was a great change in his life. You see, it was 200 years ago on February 23rd, 1807, that God used William Wilberforce in such a powerful way that finally the horrendous, sinful slave trade of England was abolished. It took Wilberforce 20 years to fight this injustice. It took Wilberforce much of his resources. It took Wilberforce much of his health. Often against those with money and influence. Often a voice in a crowd that the crowd didn't want to hear. But God had called William Wilberforce to seek justice. And he said, don't seek, stop seeking justice until this slave trade is done away with. Until this heinous sin no longer exists in this form in our country. An incredible 20-year battle for this to take place. It all began with this. Uh, I told you a little bit of his upbringing. He, he was born uh, in, a, in a wealthy home. He had a lot of things given to him. And yet, he experienced in his life what he would later say is a great change. A great change that took place over several years. It's interesting, oftentimes when we come to a great change in our life spiritually, and what this great change really is, is Wilberforce's personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But it wasn't one of these, uh, you know, one moment heaven opens up experiences, you fall on your knees and repent. It took some time. It took some study. And over a course of almost two years, 
Wilberforce sees this great change and has an incredible personal relationship with God. And it really, what it does, this relationship with God brings him to a point in his life where, where he has a tremendous decision to make. I mean, really, it's this experience where it has him on the cusp of a reality. Can I be a Christian and a politician? Can I be a Christian and still do what I'm doing? He's wrestling with it big time. He thought maybe God was calling him because of this great change into full-time Christian service. But God provided graciously some friends for Wilberforce that spoke great truth into his life. Truth that needs to be spoken into every one of our lives, whoever you are and whatever you do. The question is, is not, can I be a Christian and a lawyer and a politician and a doctor and a school teacher and a housewife? These friends came alongside and said, God is calling you to both. You see, William Wilberforce realized that he was the face of love to Parliament. He realized that he was the voice for justice in Parliament because God had called him there as his ambassador. And for nearly 20 years, he would battle. He would speak. He would implore. He would use every gift that God has given him to bring justice for the glory of God. You see, there was this great change, and Wilberforce knew that when God's word prompts us to seek after God's heart, God's heart will be revealed to us. And when we see God's heart revealed to us, we see that we serve a God, know a God, for those of us by God's grace that are his, that loves justice, that loves mercy, that loves righteousness. As a matter of fact, the psalmist wrote it this way in Psalm 89, 14. It says that justice and righteousness will establish the throne. We've been talking a lot about Jesus as king. We've been talking a lot about Christ and his kingdom. And we must see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, is a kingdom that was established in righteousness and in justice. That is God's heart. When you read through Genesis to Revelation, you will find God's heart revealed and you will find a heart of God that loves the poor, that loves the marginalized, that loves the right thing, and that loves justice. And he calls us to himself and he reconciles us to himself through his son and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation and now he says to us, my brothers and sisters, we are the A plan. We are the A plan in Christ's kingdom and we are the A plan to bring God's justice, to be the face of love, to be the voice of God where there is injustice in our world. So turn with me in your Bibles and let us look to God's holy and errant word. We're going to look to one verse to begin with. Matthew 6, verse 33. God's holy and errant word says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that we can pursue. It doesn't say seek first your personal wealth. Seek first your personal prosperity. Seek first your personal identity. Seek first that which will bring you joy and meaning. Seek first that will bring you security. He says this to us 
And all the things that we are to seek, seek first, primary, the kingdom of God and His justice. And all these things will be added unto you. Most of you are thinking, all right, Jeff, you misread. My translation says what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Well, if you look at your insert, on the very top of the insert, there'll be the Greek word that is there that we have translated here as justice. I'm sorry, as righteousness. Now, I went to uh, a very reliable Greek uh, dictionary and got the very first definition of this word. And it says, will you read it with me? What is it? It is the quality, state, or practice of judicial responsibility with focus on fairness, justice, equitableness. Again, fairness. So truly, God's word could be translated this way. Seek ye first of all the things, the kingdom of God. Remember, we've been praying that his kingdom would come. This is primary in our prayers. It's primary in our pursuits. As we saw a few weeks ago, it's primary in our possessions. But as we seek first the kingdom of God, what we are seeking for is kingdom justice. What in the world does that mean? Let us pray and ask God to open up our hearts and minds. Oh, Father, we so need to hear from you. God, would your spirit come and and quiet our hearts? Many of the folks in here right now, they're thinking about their days. They're thinking about the vows they're going to take. They're thinking about the argument they had coming in here. God, still us. Still our hearts and our minds. We need to hear. We need to hear from Abba, Father. Father, this is primary in your kingdom. We can't miss this. God, I confess I do not have the ability, the gifts, to be able to do this passage justice. So you are going to have to come and you are going to have to speak through a broken sinner like me. And Father, would you come and would you open up our ears to hear from the Good Shepherd? Would you open up our minds so that we can understand, illumine our minds through the Spirit Father, soften our hearts. God, we're callous in this area. We may think that we have this down and we don't. God, tenderly remove our hearts of stone and let us have our hearts that beat for kingdom justice. Father, if we leave here and our feet aren't engaged with the heart that you are giving us and the mind that you are giving us and the ears that you are giving us, then we're hypocrites. God, empower our feet so we can walk in kingdom justice. So the world can know that you're a just God. And they can come to know and love and adore you. We pray that you and you alone receive glory. And we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I told you uh, a couple weeks ago, Katie and I had the privilege of going to this National Pastors Conference. It was so great to get away. Uh, So great to be fed and nourished. And as we were at the Orlando airport ready to go on our journey, um, I was sitting there just consumed in conversation with Katie, oblivious to the world around me. I'm always this way when I talk to her, just completely focused and the world doesn't matter. I don't know why you're laughing. 
You must have seen me talk to her. And I didn't notice that one of my heroes was sitting next to me, but he really was. One of my real-life, present-day heroes was right beside me, and I was not even noticing because I was so entrenched with what Katie had to say, and, and it's a joy of us going away on this journey together, this National Pastors Conference. But they called me up, switching tickets or doing something. They probably heard about me on the airplanes, you know. And, um, but anyway, uh, they called me up, and on my way back to my seat, I saw him. There he was. There was a real-life living hero of Jeff Jakes. It was Dr. Bruce Walkie. Now, Dr. Bruce Walkie really is one of my heroes. He's a man who taught me in seminary. Bruce Walkie's a man who's been on the NIV and NAS translation team. But God has used Bruce Walkie to really open my eyes to what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. He's opened my eyes to some of the real Hebrew terms, especially in the book of uh, Proverbs, of things like justice and righteousness and shalom and wickedness. And a lot of the things that you're hearing, I've heard from Dr. Walkie and, and, and from others. And, and so I was just excited to say, Dr. Walkie, I'm so excited. I'm so thankful for you. And I, I start like trying to get into his good graces and like tell him all the things he's taught me and what a great guy. I shined his shoes. I, I carried his luggage. I did offer to do all those things, but he was so excited about the kingdom work at Orangewood. And it's walkie. He will remind us of things like righteousness. Listen to this word of righteousness. Righteousness, according to this Hebrew scholar, is this. Willing to disadvantage. I'm on the back side of this sheet if you want to look along with me. Willing to disadvantage oneself to the advantage of the community. Listen to that. Righteousness is willing to disadvantage oneself to the advantage of community. Wickedness is putting one's own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the needs of community. Justice is seeking to change those things in society that are not as God intended. Are there any things in our society that God has not intended them to be that way? Making sure that rightness is, sh- uh, is restored. Shalom, seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, bringing restoration, restoring uh, the brokenness in our society. And there he was, a living day hero. And I couldn't wait to tell him what was happening in our church. I couldn't wait to tell him what God was doing through the kingdom of God. And he said to me this, and this wise sage that Richard Pratt, another seminary professor, would say, knows more about the Pentateuch, the first five uh, books of the Bible, than anybody else. The only person who might know more is Moses. And he wrote him. He said, Jeff, the kingdom of God, it's everything. My brothers and sisters, this is not a series we're in. This is where we're living. And if we don't understand the kingdom of God, we really don't understand how to handle God's word. We don't understand Jesus' king and his call to us and his call to justice. Well, justice, what is it? If we're going to talk about kingdom justice, we've got to first define our terms. And by the way, I need to say uh, a thank you to uh, our PCA hero, another one, Tim Keller, who uh, has so helped my thinking in kingdom uh, justice as well. So those of you who know Tim Keller and love Tim Keller, uh, you'll hear some of his stuff as well. Um, justice, what is it? Well, justice is this, seeking to change those things in society that are not as God intended, making sure that rightness is restored. And I love what Walkie said, even in this last conversation with him, justice and shalom are so closely related, this peace of God. So what is it? Well, justice is 
being active as God's children, trying to make things right in God's kingdom. It's basically saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. And we know that in heaven, God's justice reigns. His righteousness reigns. There's no conflict with God's justice. There's no injustice. There's no needy. There's no poor. There's no broken. There's no marginalized. And when he calls us to pray that his kingdom come, that his will be done, he, we are praying for kingdom justice. Justice, why is it important? Well, as I mentioned, God called us to pray for it in Matthew 6.10. We've been there already in this journey in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are called to pray for kingdom justice. Now we see in God's Word that we are called to seek it first and foremost in our lives. Listen, seek ye first. Of all the great things you and I could seek, seek ye first the kingdom of God in His Kingdom justice. Because seeking justice reveals God's heart. For those of you who grew up Baptist and you did sword drills, you might be able to keep up with me. Good luck. But turn with me to Psalm 33. If you have your B-I-B-L-E's. If you don't, bring it next week. Psalm 33.5 says this about our Lord, our God. He loves. Now wait a minute. There's no black and white here. It's going to tell us what God loves. Anytime we hear things like he loves, we should all lean in and say, God, reveal to us what you love, because what you love is your children we should love. So it says very clearly in in Psalm 3, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Okay, God has called us to pray for justice. He's called us to seek it first. We realize that injustice is a revealing of God's word. We also see that in Micah 6, 8, it is what God requires of us. Micah 6, 6, 8 says this, For he has told you, God has told you, O man, uh, humanity, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Have you ever asked a question, what is your will, Lord? I want you to reveal your will. I want you to tell me what to do. I want to know your will. Well, here again, lean in, my brothers and sisters in Christ. God is going to tell us in black and white, as clearly he as can, this is what God requires of you. But to do justice. And to love kindness or mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. So again, we see this is justice. It's so important to God. He's called us to pray for it, seek it. It reveals his own heart. God requires it of us. And I promise you, uh, if we went through all the justice verses in the Bible, we wouldn't have time today. It's amazing. If you have a Bible software program, do a search for the word justice. And reveal God's heart. For the poor, the marginalized, and for doing what's right. But here, my brothers and sisters, this is so important to us. Because without justice, we're going to realize we don't get it. What are you saying, Jeff? We don't get it. Turn with me to Matthew. Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. Matthew 23, 23. Maybe it's, well, maybe it's LeBron James. Matthew 23, 23. Now, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day. These are people that really, really knew the Bible like inside and out. They knew Torah. They loved Torah. They lived Torah. They made many of their own rules to try to keep them in line with Torah. They had a very 
much of a religious exterior. They did not have much of a religious interior. They did a lot of things with their lips and not a whole lot of things with their hearts. And you would think that of all the people that Jesus would hang out with, it's amazing that our God hangs out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. But the religious folks, he has a real hard time with. And why was Jesus having such a hard time with them? He's going to say to them, whoa, let me tell you, whoa, he's going to call them whitewashed tombs. He's going to get all in their grills and he's going to give them it right between the eyes because they were hypocrites. Because they thought they got it with some external religion and their hearts were far from God. Listen to Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes, religious leaders and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and another commodity and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. All right, let's get this picture. These are religious folks. They're trying to do the right thing, and they're giving out of their, their, their wealth. They're giving. They're tithing. And Jesus is saying, you've missed it. You're religious. You're so religious, you're giving 10% of your income. You're so religious that everybody knows you're religious, and yet you're a hypocrite. Why? Because they don't do the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These things ought to have been done without neglecting the others. For those of you who do tithe, thank you. That's, listen, but not to me, it's to God. You're doing it to God. But it doesn't mean that when you do justice, you can stop tithing. It's still the deal, but we can't miss the other. This is so important to God. He says, listen, this is so important that we're hypocrites if we do not pursue justice. Did you hear that? We're hypocrites if we don't do it. Well, how do we do it? We do it individually. We do it corporately, and we do it as an imitators of Christ. The first point there is this, seeking kingdom justice as an individual. Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. Let me read this to you. As we seek in kingdom justice as an individual, it says this in the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 27 and 28, and it's in your insert if you want to follow along. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act Do not say to your neighbor, come back later. I'll give it to you tomorrow when you have it with you today. God is calling us individually to seek kingdom justice. Here's the deal. The world is a messed up place. The world is a messed up place and God is calling you to do something about it. Just like he called Wilberforce. He's calling you. We got a a dentist in our church got several great dentists in our church. I don't understand how you love dentistry that much as this one guy does, but he realized that God has given him something in his hand. He's given them a good, and he must use that good to advance Christ's kingdom. So this month, this month on the 14th, we celebrate what? Valentine's Day. It's a, it's a month of our heart. And so just this last Friday, this dentist set up a shop at his shop, and he says, you know what? We're giving it all away. We're giving it all. See, God has empowered me to be able to to clean teeth and fill cavities and and do root canals. And God has empowered me to do that. And because he's let my hand do it, I cannot withhold that good from others that we're going to have a day, dentistry of the heart. Dentistry of the heart. And anybody who comes through our doors, we're going to give it away. It's all pro bono. We'll get word out. If you can't afford it, you come. You come and do it. You see, that's, that's the face of love. That's kingdom justice. 
That's realizing that God has empowered you and that you and I cannot withhold good from others. Now, there's a couple of blanks there with this. There's three blanks. It basically follows right along with Proverbs 3, 27 and 28. And here's and really what I want you to do is fill in after those blanks the goods that you have. The first thing is this. Do not withhold good. Or really it's saying this. Do not withhold goods. What has God given you? Scripture clearly tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. Everything we have, our possessions, our skills, our gifts, our abilities, any good that we have, any goods that we have, where do they come from? Father. Why does He give it to us? He gave us these goods so that we can be a blessing to Father as we are being a blessing to others. So I want you to fill in that blank. What good has God given you? It might be good of financial security. It might be good of, of, of knowledge and abilities, the good of business deals, the good of being a lawyer, of being a teacher, being a housewife. What goods has God given to you? Because you know He has. I see the goods all around me. It's amazing. Do not withhold that which God has put into your hand. You see, it's not about us building up our... 401ks. It's not about us building up our security. It's not about our identity. It's not about our, our worth in there. God gives us the goods to be a blessing to others. He's given us the goods so we have our hands like this. It is evil and wicked to take the goods that God has given us and hold them like this. Do not withhold good. And then it goes on to say, for those whom it is due... Thank God for an escape clause. Because who is it due? And don't we do some incredible gymnastics to make sure that we can define who it is due? They don't deserve it. they got to work for a living. They don't deserve it. They haven't done enough. They haven't deserved it. Because somehow through our grids oftentimes, through our filters, we have made a decision and it isn't their due. Well, those of you who love Jesus and brought your Bibles and you're at, in Proverbs 3 and you're looking at verse 27, there's a footnote where it says, those whom it is due. Is, is there anybody here who could quickly tell me what the footnote says? Come on. Proverbs 3, 27. You're embarrassing me now. Owners. Unbelievable. So here's what it says. It's a really interesting term. For those who it's due, it's basically saying this. Do not withhold good. If God has given you good, you cannot withhold it from the owners. Who in the world are the owners? What in the world are we talking about here? You ready for this? It's the owners of God's image. It's the owners. Who are due? It's those that God has made in his image. Yellow, black, Red, white, it's those that have a heartbeat. It's those that have a pulse. It's those that have been made to know and love God. Those are the owners. It's do them. Don't withhold good from God's image bearers when it's in your hand to do it. It says power, but literally it's when it's in your power to do it. God has empowered you. He has. He's gifted you. He's gifted every single one of you with intellectual power the power to create, to, to do business, to, to, to make money. He's created, he's given, he's given you assets. Do not withhold them. If God has made you an incredible business uh, man or woman, if you're a woman in the market that can just really, really, really make things happen, the question is, are you making things happen just for you and your company? That's good. 
great, God says, do all you can, but it can't be just for you. It's got to be for the kingdom. It's got to be for the marginalized. It's got to be for the poor. We can't withhold our goods from them. Image bearers. Kingdom justice. Seek ye first kingdom justice. When it is in our power to do it. So for whom is it is due? You can write in image bearers. And what is it in your hand? What is in your power to do it? Let me ask you, take a second. What has God given you? You know it. What talent do you have? What has God given you? Seeking kingdom justice as an individual, but also seeking kingdom justice as a community or as a church. Proverbs 10, 11, verses 10 and 11 says this. When the righteous, again, I'm in Proverbs 10, I'm sorry, 11, verses 10 and 11. The righteous, and the word here, Sadiq in the Hebrew, could be the just, Okay, here's the deal. When those who are seeking kingdom justice, when God's children who are living obediently, the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessings of the upright, a city is exalted. By the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. This, is a, this world is a messed up place. And God is calling us to do something about it. You know, I'm very, very proud of many of our ministries that are seeking hard after the kingdom. I really am. And I want to tell you, I just love the spirit that's moving in our midst. And again, I'm, I'm throwing gas on a fire that God's already ignited. But as we see our, our school ministry, I, I, I got to tell you where I am with this ministry. I met with Luann this week, and, and uh, I'm so thankful for a headmaster whose heart beats like my heart. And I said to her, Luann, I, I, I can't sleep at night. I can't sleep at night if, if, if there's a family at Orangewood that wants to train their child with a Christian worldview education, if that's the choice they want to make, we, we got to make it accessible for every single family that Orangewood, because it's wicked if we don't. Is that a big, hairy, audacious goal? She goes, I agree. And look at, look at the scholarships that we've been able to give away and the families that are able to receive this education. Listen, whatever God has given to us, we cannot withhold for others. I said, Luann, we got to figure out ways. we got to figure out ways to make this a blessing to more people. And, and by the way, it doesn't stop here. As every church that we plant and every dream that I have of a school, I want every, every kid in Orlando given the opportunity, given the opportunity to come here in education through a Christian worldview. Now, I know some of you have not chosen that. And listen, you're the primary educator of your children, and that's okay. But this is, this is something that God has given to us. Does that make sense? And I want to make sure my hands aren't like this. I want to make sure they're like this. Does that make sense? So if you choose to educate your kid at home or or through the public education system, that is fine. But we can't let this not be a blessing to others. And she told me about you. She told me about you who who have the ability to have an Orangewood discount. says, give away my discount to those who need it. I heard about you who said, I have the means to pay for others. Let me pay for others. I heard about you who says, if I can put my kids there and I can afford others, I want to do it. And my heart sings and I rejoice. Thank you. That's, 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 that's righteousness. That's blessedness. That's saying, God, you've given us the ability to do this. It can't just be for me and my kids. It can't just be for the white privileged. It can't. 
we got to love our neighbor. And if it's in your power to do it, if you have the ability to do things like that, you honor God greatly by doing it. We have more scholarships than we ever have. We have more member discounts. And, and really, we're at the point where we were able to say, or, or close to it, if that's what you want, Orangewood member, we want to make it available to you. Not, not free, but make sure it happens. You see, what God has given to us, and we hold like this wickedness, putting one's own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the community. Wickedness. Wickedness. Righteousness. Willing to disadvantage oneself for the advantage of the community. Righteousness. Justice. Seeking to change those things in society that are not as God intended. That are breaking His heart and it should be breaking ours. Making sure that rightness is restored. You know, it says this. It says, uh, the righteous, as you follow on that sing the point, it says, the righteous are to seek justice that cause our city to rejoice. Dream with me, Orangewood. Dream with me at a place that God blesses, that we get this kingdom understanding that our city is rejoicing because we're here. I mean, they're rejoicing. They might not even share our faith, but we'll say, thank God for Orangewood. Thank God for those people that are clothing the naked. Thank God for those people that are showing mercy to the poor. Thank God for those people that are feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, mending the broken. We don't know what we would do without Orangewood. That is when the just, the righteous are seeking God's blessing and shalom and the whole city rejoices. And they say, I want to know what's going on because they're living and they're giving it away and they're leveraging all they have for King Jesus and we're getting really blessed. Oh, the dream that our city would not know what to do without us. My brothers and sisters, it's about us coming together and leveraging all we have to advance Christ's kingdom and saying, God, you've given us all this, every ministry, every asset, every nickel, every dime, every person. It's all here by your design for your glory. Let us leverage it all to advance your kingdom. Let us leverage it all to be salt and light. Let us seek justice because we are ridiculously in love with Jesus. And Jesus and his kingdom is a kingdom where justice reigns. And this is at the heart of God. I love that our hearts are moving this way. Our deacons recently went uh, out to the devastation of these uh, tornadoes. And I got an email back from one of our deacons, Ross Duhame, and he talked about um, what you see in the television and newspapers, nothing. This is nothing. I and mean, we went through Charlie and Francis and Gene, the triplets of 2004, and I can barely describe what I've seen. And he goes on to see, describe the houses and all the things that took place. He said, this was unbelievable. And he talks about the homes where mother, father, and son had been killed that is gone. The home that was all that was remaining as a wooden porch. The home where a young mother had lost her husband and son. These were no longer pictures in the paper. They were hard-working and God-loving people that had perished only days before while sleeping. We felt as though we were on hallowed ground, invaders in a land where we did not belong. Yet we knew. We were called for this purpose. He writes in the end, in the coming weeks and months, there'll be plenty, many projects that we can partner on with this community. 
It could be building a house, putting up a fence, painting a room, or just offering prayer and support. To that end, I would encourage each of you to think about how you can serve Jesus to the people in need, not just in Maitland and Altamont Springs, but across the entire Central Florida area. The needs of our body are great, to be sure, but we are called to be a blessing to them all. You see, we're called to be the face of love. We're called to be the voice of justice. And as we do, lastly, we will see Jesus in kingdom justice. We see the face of Jesus in kingdom justice. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, was a face of love to England's poor for most of the 19th century. And at his funeral, the Queen of England decided to go incognito. The Queen of England, I think Queen Mary at the time, is there at his funeral for this champion of justice, this champion of Jesus, this champion for the poor and marginalized. And she happened to be sitting next to a poor woman that was formerly a prostitute. And as the casket of William Booth came down the aisle, the woman took a rose and she laid it on his casket and she turned to the Queen of England and she said... He cared for the likes of us. You see, royalty doesn't have the reputation of caring for the likes of the poor. But let me tell you about the King of Kings. Let me tell you about the Lord of Lords. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because He cares for the likes of the poor. How do we know it? Because He became poor. So that we could become rich. You see, God identifies with the poor. He identifies with the poor. You want to see Jesus go to the poor? You want to see God see go to the poor? Let me read to you Proverbs 14, 31 and Proverbs 19, 17. It says this. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Whoever insults a poor man, he's insulting God. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deeds. You see, Jesus was born in a manger. At his circumcision, he couldn't afford the sacrifice. He got the poorest of the poor pigeons. There was no place to lay his head. He rode on a borrowed donkey. He ate in a borrowed room. He died without any possessions, and the only possession he had was his robe, and that was gambled away. He was laid in a borrowed tomb, and he suffered the greatest injustice that history ever knew. Jesus knows the poor. He became the poor. He became the marginalized. He became the broken. And he says in this incredible passage on the end of Matthew 25, if you turn to the back of this, it's Matthew 25, and I won't read this story, I'll just paraphrase it. Jesus talks about the end, and he says for those who are going to get it and for those who don't, and he, he tells this story, he says we're like sheeps and goats. And he says for some of those of you that are going to be sent away out of my presence, you know, you saw me naked and you didn't clothe me. You saw me thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. And you saw me hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. And, and you saw me in prison, you didn't come after me, and you didn't come to visit me. And they're going to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus, Jesus, wait a minute. Oh, when in the world did we see you hungry? When in the world did we see you thirsty? When in the world did we see you naked? When in the world did we see you imprisoned? And he's going to say, what you've done, 
What you've done for the marginalized, for the poor, what you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. And because you haven't done it, depart. He's going to turn to others and say, now listen, you saw me naked, you saw me poor, you saw me broken, you saw me hungry, you saw me thirsty, and you came and you met my needs. And they're going to say, whoa, Jesus, when do we do that? He's going to say, what you've done to the least of these, you've done for me. We can say, Jesus, when in the world did we ever see you naked? Jesus, when in the world did we ever see you poor? When in the world, Jesus, did we ever see you thirsty? When in the world, Jesus, did we ever see you hungry? When in the world, Jesus, did we ever see you imprisoned? And it's the cross. It's the cross. Our God became poor so that we could become rich. And now he calls us to be that face of love. You see, it's amazing grace. That's why, that's why the gospel right here says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor. We don't get the gospel until we get this. Until we realize, listen, that we have nothing to barter with with God. It's all about God's amazing grace. We're sinners that deserve his love. But he's come. He's emptied himself of all but love and bled for us. And closed us with his righteousness. When you realize that we are the poor, wretched sinner that was blind that now sees, you understand that God identifies with the poor. And he calls us to bring his glory and to bring justice and love and mercy to those in his name. And when we do, we seek the kingdom of God. And when we do, we seek the justice of God. Orangewood, we can't miss this. This is the heart of the gospel. It's not so that we can find God's heart. It's because we found God's heart. Make sense? Because we are his. This is not works righteousness. These are his children saying, we care about what you care about. Thy kingdom come, Jesus. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his glory. Let us pray. Father, you've called us to be the face of love. You've called us to be the voice of justice. You've called us to be those who love the poor, love the marginalized, love the needy. Not so we can earn anything, but because we got everything and we find you there. Oh, Father, I pray that you would cause us to be the face of love to this community. Take this tithes and offerings and advance Christ's kingdom through it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.